Welcome to Missionary Roundtable with your host, Kale Horvath. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Missionary Roundtable, the podcast all about the Great Commission and international missions. My name is Kale. I'm a pastor and missionary to the country of Hungary and also your host for today. So excited to have you guys join us again. Uh, I love doing deep dives on different missionaries and hearing their stories, especially ones that maybe uh, listeners who um, come from my uh, background or even uh, the fellowship that my church is, a, my sending church is a part of, maybe people that they don't know or they've never met before. And I'm excited to introduce you guys today to my friend, uh, Mark Patton. Mark has been a missionary here in Hungary in the country that I'm living in and the, God, the country that God has called my family to. He's been here for almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years uh, next year, actually. And so Mark has uh, been here for a long time, came in here in the early 90s, right after the of communism, uh, learned the language, moved his family, uh, moved his wife here with him. Uh, they raised four kids on the field. Uh, they've planted several churches, planning another new one that's only a couple years old in Budapest. And uh, God hooked me up with Mark. Um, I got his contact uh, info about five or six months after we arrived here um, back in 2020, 2021, in the middle of the pandemic. And when things started opening up again, um, I reached out to Mark, asked him if we could uh, just join him in his church, attend and just get some fellowship and some language immersion. And Mark has, uh, and his family and his church have been so kind to us ever since then, helping us out in more ways than one. And, um, I, and because Mark has been here so long and has been serving the Lord this long, he's not only learned the language uh, amazingly, preaches Hungarian, the whole church services in Hungarian, he and his wife and his family are Hungarians, literally also dual citizens here. Um, and so uh, there's just a lot that I've been able to learn from him um, about this country. And so I hope you guys are excited for a little bit of a deep dive um, because I got to sit in the same room with my interviewee this time. It's only happened a couple times before on this podcast. Usually it's a Zoom call. And so I got to sit in uh, Mark's office and chat with him about his story, uh, what it was like learning this language and coming to this country in the early 90s, right after the fall of communism. And then even... Um, get into a bit of a deep dive about the history of missions and specifically Baptist missions in uh, this country. And so I think you guys are going to really like it. So have a listen. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Mark, uh, thanks, man, so much for, for doing this. I'm excited to, uh, to interview you. Glad to do it. I uh, I usually have to do these over Zoom because I'm uh -huh. calling people all over the world, so it's cool to actually, you know, the dynamic of talking to someone so much different in person. Right. Um, yeah. Although I guess we're all a little bit used to uh, Zoom chats and Zoom calls and how Zoom church even. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we can even later, after we talk more about your story, we can talk about how that affected you guys because really before we came around, that's when you guys were going through... Uh, COVID stuff and Zoom church um, right. with yeah. your church plan. But um, I would love to just talk about your story a little bit. So a little introduction for the audience. You've been in Hungary almost 30 years now, right? Right. right. What year did you come? 1993. Okay. August 1993. 1993. So yeah, literally next year will be 30 years. Yeah. That's amazing. So 
more than half of your life, I would imagine. How old were, yes. were you when you came? 25, almost 26. Wow. Yeah. And, and you were married to Cara. I was married, mm-hmm. yeah. No she, kids yet, though? No kids yet. Okay, okay. Had your kids on the field, and you've been here for 30 years, planted several churches. The current one that, that we attend as well is uh, only a little over two years old now, right? Yeah, about two and a half years. Awesome. Three in September in Budapest, and you guys spent uh, the bulk of your years in smaller towns in Hungary, uh, right. away from Budapest, which is super interesting. Right, right. Which was um, oh, remind me the name of the t- city. We were in Estergom. Estergom. That was really our main That's the church for like twenty six mm-hmm. years. Which is a really key historic city in Hungary, even though it's a lot smaller than Budapest. Right, right, right. It was considered the first capital of Hungary. Really? King Stephen was born there. And, oh, that's the know, story. He, was he born there. there? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very cool. And the, I think the biggest basilica, Catholic basilica. Right, in all in of Hungary. Hungary. In all of Hungary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe not town. necessarily Europe, but it, it's big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Been there a few times. And so you guys planted, uh, I think, the first Baptist church. In Estergom, right? Right. Well, there had we found out there had been a small Baptist church meeting in a house oh, okay. in the, like the '60s. Okay. Maybe into the '70s, and mm-hmm. then like the family died or something. Okay. So there was a few people when we went, went to Estergom that had heard of Baptist, and you know, because of this this small Baptist church that had been there. Mm-hmm. But when we went, there was nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And it's, like I said, spent the bulk of your ministry planting, investing, and discipling men in there. And then a couple years ago, probably right before COVID then, is when you yeah, <laughs> came yeah. to Budapest and planted uh, Focus Church. Focus, right. Focus Church. Right, right. Yeah, so we started with uh, like uh, core group meetings in early 2019 and then launched okay. officially September 2019. So Okay. And then COVID came out in what, about March, March 2020. So yeah. yeah, we were like six months in. Wow. When COVID hit. So. Incredible. Well, let me just say this before we get into, because I want to talk about your testimony and how God you know, drew you into just doing international missions with your mm-hmm. life. Uh, but I do just want to say, man, you guys have been such a huge help to us. Um, I, I know I've said this to you before, but seriously, I, I can probably never repay you for what you guys have done for my family. Um, when, we, when we came to the field, we, we didn't come and join an established missionary. Mm-hmm. We just came based on contacts we had and people getting saved. and But but COVID threw a wrench in all of our plans. And uh, the first five or six months we were here, we were just lonely and learning the language and not much else. And um, long story short, I was praying for if and when and where we should, you know, attend a church when things open up. And uh, um, through a, not even really a mutual contact, but a guy that I know in the States who had either met you or heard of your church, mm-hmm. sent right. me your prayer letter. And, um, you know, I emailed you like, Hey, can we just hang out? Uh (laughs) Like, I don't need ministry or leadership roles. I just, we just need fellowship. And uh, you guys took us in with open arms and we really appreciate it. Our our whole family does not even just me. Well, we've been glad to have you. And I know our people have really enjoyed having you and getting to know you guys. So yeah, it's been good. We, we seriously counted a blessing and thank God for you guys. And uh, you even helped us get uh, our visas uh, renewed. And so seriously, without going on and on, you guys have been huge to us. So thanks. And now you're doing this for me, so thanks again. <laughs> but seriously, I, I do this just because I love um, giving a place for people to tell their stories, but also I just love hearing people's stories. And we've talked a little bit in, just in private conversations about you know some of your story, but if you were to just start at the beginning um, and, and say you know your, your salvation testimony, how you got saved, but then if you could work that into how God led you to the mission field, um, 
Yeah, whether that's a long or short story is up to you, but I'd love to hear how you got saved and how God moved you towards international missions. Okay. Yeah, well, the story for my salvation probably would say began in Africa, believe it or not. Um, wow. So my parents, my dad uh, was a trained medical doctor and he went to Liberia, took us all, four kids and his wife, and he they moved to Liberia and have been like 71 hmm. uh, to work for the U.S. government training medical doctors in Liberia. And while he was there, uh, he met some missionaries that led him to the Lord. Wow. So my dad got saved. Wait, so he, I guess I was just assuming he was a missionary. No, he was not a missionary. Wow, wow. He was working as a medical doctor for the U.S. Department of Public Aid, I think was the official name of the department. And through contact with missionaries in Liberia, he got saved. Amazing. And that changed, of course, the trajectory of our whole family. Sure. So we began attending church, you know, and I heard the gospel at a young age. We got back to the States in 76. I would have probably been uh, about eight years old and started attending a church there. And so my salvation actually happened at a a summer camp. Okay. Like a lot of kids. uh, I think I was 10 years old. And it was, you know, the churches had their annual (laughs) children's camp. Youth summer camp. Yeah, yeah. Love summer camp. Yeah, I remember, you know, somebody preached, and I don't know who it was. He preached, you know, about salvation. And and we got back to our cabin, and our counselor said, okay, you know, I want all you boys to say, you know, tell them when you got saved. And Uh, he went around the circle. And and you're dreading. He got to me, and I started crying. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I don't know. I've never been saved or something like that. So he kind of, like, stopped the, (laughs) (laughs) okay, let's deal with Mark. So he took me out and, and you know i think we sat down outside the cabin or whatever and, and he led me to the lord and so that's how i got saved very cool yeah so there's a long time between 10 years old and 26 yeah, years old yeah so, so what, what was that process for you yeah so the next year i think it was the next year maybe two years later it was again camp but i think i was actually a teen youth camp or whatever so mm-hmm. i may have been 12 then um but again, it was, you know, like Friday night, whatever, you know, invitation. In this case, yeah, it was the to, emotional high to give your, you know, give your life to God for, you mm-hmm. know, full time service, whatever. They Not had. just your leftovers, but your, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they and they had this like fire. I remember they had like the campfire and they had these little bundles of sticks. And they said, you know, if you want to commit your life to God, to serve him with all your life, grab one of these bundles and throw it in the fire. It's a weird illustration. Yeah, I don't know, but... Uh, okay, well, okay, altar. Okay, yeah, right, I guess it's right. like giving it all. I'm, you know? I'm thinking like judgment seat of Christ, like burn up the chat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Anyways, you know, to me, it was memorable, you know, going sure. forward, grabbing the bundle sticks, throwing in the fire. And, I'm all in. And saying, I'm all in, yeah. follow the Lord. And really about that time, I that's I would say I felt called to preach, called to full-time ministry, Something. would say. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Yeah, a so basically thing. from age 12 on, if you would have asked me, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. I would have said, I'm going to be a pastor oh, or a God. preacher or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I would, um, I would always tell people that, <laughs> because especially in Baptist circles, and, and I say this knowing that random people who stumble onto the podcast um, might just be Baptist, you know, people I don't even know, but, but in the Baptist circles, when you're on deputation or something, they'll always, get, always ask you, brother, how did how did you get called to preach? When did God call you to preach? And and I always just give my honest answer and what I think is a biblical answer. And I was like, well, when I was sixteen, I just wanted to be a pastor. And then I always take them to where Paul says to desire the office of a bishop is to desire a good work. And yeah. like seriously, that's yeah. how it started. God just stirred my heart. Yeah. I grew up in church, and I just wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But then from there on, the onus was on me to pursue God and discipleship mm-hmm. and training, of course. 
But uh, yeah, that, that's cool to hear something similar in you, even younger. That you're like, I just, I just feel like I want to do something more. Um, so yeah. how, so how did that translate in your local church? Like, what, what did you do after that? Was there discipleship, or was there? Um, did you off to seminary when you graduated high school? Yeah, yeah. So I was attending a Christian school that was attached to our, our church that we were attending. Okay. And uh, what state was this in? By the way, you're a Midwest this guy, right? Would have been South Bend, Indiana. Okay, South Bend, All Indiana. Right, Indiana. Yeah. Yes. Right next to the Buckeye State. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Notre Dame country. So. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, um, yeah, our, our youth. We had a really good youth pastor who's I'm friends with to this day. Um, that invested a lot in in us. You know, there was, I mean, it was pretty. You know, probably 60, 70 kids in the youth group, so mm-hmm. probably thirty plus guys, and but a lot of time, you know, we hung out at his house, and you know, so a lot of it wasn't so formal, but just you know. Some of it was the typical church stuff and others was just hanging out. Just that life on life. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember even our, our pastor, like in our senior year, for like four of us felt called in the ministry at that time. He decided to do like, a, I don't remember what he called it, like some senior special Bible class or something. You know, So he just met the four of us mm-hmm. and gave us books to read. Cool. You know, so we were reading, you know, books about leadership or, yeah. you know, pastor related stuff when we were. 17, 18, whatever. Mm-hmm. What what decade was that? That would have been, like I graduated 80s? from high school in 85. Okay, okay. Yeah. So would like Maxwell's books been out back then? Or? No. I'm trying to think like leadership well, books. Well, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to think back if that would have been those or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember reading stuff like Swindoll and, and stuff oh, like okay, that. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Um, you know, a few books that he handed us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we were encouraged to go on to Bible college mm-hmm. Um and so we, we attended a Bible college. Actually, I think all f- four of us guys went to the same Bible college. Oh, nice. You know, they would kind of grown up in high school together and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I started in the pastoral ministry track. I mm-hmm. At that time, I didn't feel called to missions. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting that when I went to college, my parents went to Saranam, South America as missionaries. So my mm-hmm. dad had gone to Africa. So, so he did end up Right, he had gone to Africa <laughs> as a you know medical doctor for the U.S. government. Yeah. And then when this, I was the youngest kid, when I finished high school, they f- had felt called that they were going to go as missionaries, but they didn't go to Africa. They went to uh, South America Okay, okay. and actually served there for 26 years. So anyways, yeah, so there was that missions influence in the family, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit from just living overseas when I was a kid. And then when my parents went to Suriname, of course, I had probably two summers maybe that I spent there with okay. them during college years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So you started out in the pastoral track and then switched over. To yeah, the well, track? it was actually it was my junior in between my junior and senior year. I had gone to Suriname to be with my parents for the summer, and that's when God called me to missions. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting because I thought I mean it seemed like it would have been logical to call me to Suriname, but He didn't. You know? <laughs> sure, it was sure. like I came back saying I'm called to missions, but not to Suriname. Okay, I mean that's yeah, yeah, yeah. really the way I can't, went back to my senior year. Yeah, that's of fair. college. Absolutely. But at that point, it was too late, really, to change um, tracks. So I actually finished the mission or the pastoral major. Okay. I think mm-hmm. I may have had uh, one or two electives left that I did missions classes. Okay. I just threw mm-hmm. in a couple of missions classes, but really, yes, yeah, so I didn't take the missions mm-hmm. track. As I took the pastoral track and graduated. Gotcha. Yeah, and then I got a master's degree, just a MS um, in English Bibles, what it was called. Okay. Um, Same place. No, a different, different uh, up in Wisconsin. I went to oh, okay. uh, uh, Baptist Bible College there. Mm-hmm. 
And during that time, I had met my wife um, at first college, and she was three years behind me. So, like, I went on and got the master's. She was finishing her, you know, kind of finishing up her schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just seeking, you know, where do we go? You know, mm-hmm. it's a big world out there. I felt called to missions. And yeah, I told yeah. my wife that, you know, even before we were married, you know, I'm called to missions. Where do we go? We had been praying about it. And, you know, so this would have been, I graduated with a bachelor's in 89, master's in 90. Mm-hmm. My wife graduated in 92. So it was right about the time that the, you know, Hungary was coming out of communism. Yeah, right at the end of the 80s, early 90s. Yeah, so like Wall. here in Hungary, the official end of communism, they would put probably at October 89, I think. Okay. And then they, they voted in a new government. I think it was actually 1990 when the gotcha. first democratically elected post-communist government took power. So, I mean, it was right in that time. And we were like, you know, I had the... You know, I was like, I want to go somewhere where there's not a lot, not a lot of missionaries. You know, yeah. Somewhere new, in a sense, right. new. Right, absolutely. And so when all these countries in Eastern Europe were opening up, mm-hmm. it was like, hey, you know, I, fe- I felt like you know, God's leading us to one of those. But it was mm-hmm. like, you know, which one, you know? Yeah, sure. You go to Romania, you go to... You know, I envy you guys. So we're looking man. at all these countries, like, you know. Oh, man, which unreached country should we go to? Because <laughs> my, my pastor went to Albania in 92, uh-huh. right after communism fell. Okay. Like, your yeah. generation, man, it, it's just, yeah. I envy it. It's cool. It's really neat. Um, yeah, so we went to, like, it would have been the summer of 90... 91, mm-hmm. I think, we went and applied to a mission board. Mm-hmm. So they had like what they call candidate school. And so we had applied sure. to Eastern Europe and we still didn't know the country. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of missionaries oh, there, sure. you know. And, you know, like there was five different families wanting to go to Romania. So they're trying to talk us into Romania. There was, <laughs> right, you know, there right. was two families going to it Poland. It was more logistics for them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so Poland, Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. It was like, but nobody was going to Hungary. Oh. And it was kind of like, you know, somehow God had just keep, put, kept putting Hungary on our hearts. Why our not? Hearts. Language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And nobody warned us about the language at that point, I don't think. So anyways, we found out about a missionary working with our mission board mm-hmm. who was in Hungary and okay. he had been a missionary in England already. So he had all mm-hmm. his support and his uh, mom or dad, one of, I think his mom was Hungarian. Oh. And so he had an interest in Hungary. So like he visited Hungary in like 89, you know, it's oh. like they weren't completely even out of communism. Sure. And he was like, I'm going to come as soon as the door opens. He yeah. knew. He's like, it's, yeah. And it's so he soon. had come like he was like one of the first missionaries you wow. know, from the U.S. to come into Hungary mm-hmm. um, in 1990. And so anyways, we contacted him. 91, we came on a survey trip mm-hmm. um, shortly after this, this summer thing. Uh, candidate school, we came on a survey trip mm-hmm. and met pastors here. Of course, we met him. He took us around. Um, and when we got in the plane heading back, it was like I looked at my wife. And said, you know, I think this is where we're supposed to be. What do you think? She said, I think so too. So that's awesome. So yeah, man, that's cool. I, I remember. So we came for the first time in 2014. Okay. Because uh, we had a, a pastor friend who was doing uh, just evangelistic Bible camps for orphans. Had a had a random opportunity. Took it. Did, didn't know any churches or pastors or missionaries. Just one of those things. It's like open door. Let's just mm-hmm. take it. So started going with him and uh, just fell in love with it. Kept coming mm-hmm. back every year. Sometimes twice a year. And um, I had become a pastor in 2015 at our church, but my senior pastor was a missionary at heart. And he's always like, man, so what about missions? What about missions? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember there was, I don't remember which year it was that God confirmed it, but we would, every year we would take the team, the American team, after the week of camp, just into the city, because usually we weren't in Budapest for the camp. Mm-hmm. And so we'd bring them in just to have a, a tourist day. 
And uh, I would go up to the, they would take us up to the Citadel uh-huh, um, at right. night. And uh, I would just look out over the city and see all the lights just stretched for miles right, right. and kilometers. Here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just like picturing souls, you know, mm-hmm. just like each and every single one of them. And I'm like, yeah. and, and I just was thinking like Matthew 9, where Jesus sees the multitudes and he's like sheep without shepherd, you know, mm-hmm. who, who's going to go. And, and I'm just like thinking man, there's a bunch of, cause we would see a few people get saved every year we'd go. And then we didn't know anyone to send them to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like every year you're praying, Hey God, would you send laborers into the harvest? And, uh, I heard a pastor once a long time ago, preach something about like, you can't honestly pray that prayer if you're not willing to be the answer to it. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey man, I, I, man, I hope you send someone. And I just started thinking like, man, maybe we could do it. You know, I've got Hungarian in my blood. Maybe we could learn this language. Yeah. We're young enough. We, And um, yeah, there was nothing magical or mystical about it. It was just, you know, what God was confirming in us. Like, like you, it's like, man, I think I think we can do this. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Man, praise God. But so so you committed to coming to Hungary uh, with your wife and you came in, what year then, 92? So no, 93. 93. Yeah, so she, we actually started deputation while she was still finishing okay, nice. college. So she finished in like June 92, May Something like that. I don't Man, know. I, anyway, so the next year, I was a year later, and we finished raising our support. You guys who did deputation back before email, and mm-hmm. man, hats off to you guys, <laughs> man. Because I, I did a lot of emailing PDFs to uh, people. And Did uh, you like like have the missionary we packet? Had, we had packets, and man. And then you, you mailed them in the manila folder. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even have a computer to make form letters, but we had these... <sighs> Word processors, you know, I don't know if you, oh my they're like yeah, a typewriter. Standalone. You know, typewriter. It was like mm-hmm. a typewriter, but it had some memory in it. That was the amazing okay. thing. So you could okay. actually, you couldn't see the whole letter at one on your screen. You know, <laughs> just had these little tiny screens on there, but you could like save a letter. So we would like oh, wow. kind of have a form letter. Okay, okay. Punch uh, in the info, and then, yeah, you'd add their wow. name or address, and then print it out, and, and then just cold calls, but actual calling, actually not calling, emails, calling yeah. on the phone. Oof, gives me anxiety just thinking about cold calling, playing phone. One tag Wonders. with pastors oh, until yeah. <laughs> and then maps no gps no gps getting out the map to get on the road and find this church no, no, no cell phone so if you're running late it's like do we stop and look for a pay phone and then we're even later or do you oh, wow or, or just get just, there as fast just as we try can. to get there and Man, you know praise god and so then you know when you came to hungary um so the people listening know know me i've always said that this is hungarian is one of the top five widely considered one of the top five hardest languages in the mm-hmm. world to learn at least for English speakers. I don't know how right. it relates to everybody else. Right. Um, but I guess I'm asking you to back me up on that. I'm not just saying that so everybody <laughs> feels like I'm actually doing something. It, you yeah. had to learn it before Google Translate uh-huh. and all these Duolingo apps, which I, I do believe there's crowns for you in heaven, man, for learning Hungarian back before the internet. Um, how? How? <laughs> That's my question. How did you even go about doing that once you arrived, learning this language? Yeah. Yeah, well, the crazy thing is we tried. We had found like a Hungarian language book um, in Chicago because we live really? close to Chicago. In America, you found yeah, it? like a textbook. So we got wow. this textbook, and it had cassette tapes to go with it. Okay, like okay, six cassette tapes that went with it. And so it, we were trying to learn some, but I'll actually tell you, we we learned a lot of stuff wrong that we had <laughs> to correct, you know, before we got here. Sure, but, sure. So that was, you know, but when we got here, we had found out there was this you know they had this brilliant name it was called the hungarian language school that was literally the name okay there you go there you go and it was very close to octagon you know where that is yeah 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyways, we found out about it. They had like this, you know, like a three week intensive course to start. And like level one was like yeah. three weeks, five hours, mm-hmm. uh, no, five days a week, three hours a day. It was like, you yeah. know, so we did that. That was level one. We did that intense. And then they would like switch to like three days a week for three hours or okay. two days a week for a little less, three, you know. So, yeah, they had like four levels a basic, what they called the basic levels. And then mm-hmm. you had two advanced levels at the school. This would have been, yeah, 93, 94. Mm-hmm. So I took all, I took everything I had. So mm-hmm. that was like, uh, like a year and a half. Uh, my wife actually just did the first year because mm-hmm. then we had our first baby. And so she didn't do like this level five, level six. Mm-hmm. So we had a tutor come. Oh, cool. And meet with her. And well, yeah, I was going to say, you weren't taking father. Zoom classes no, back then. You no, were, Zoom classes. And you didn't live in Budapest, so no. you were Yeah, so commuting. we were traveling from Tahito to Falu, which was, you know, with we were at first on public transport. Yeah, it was probably an hour and a half. But then uh, we one bought way. it. One way. Wow. Yeah. And then we got a, you know, we got our car and it was... I mean, that's literally your whole day. A little day. bit faster. Hour and a half, one <laughs> hour way, and a half, three hours of school, three hours hour, and of class, hour and a half back. Ooh, go yeah. to bed with a with a with headache. A headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. Anyway, so we did that. That was one thing. Was we we really did take the you know every bit of schooling mm-hmm. they provided. Yeah, yeah. At that time, um, so and really tried to learn you know learn the grammar well, all the conjugations, mm-hmm. you know, all the good stuff, you know. But the other thing we did was we intentionally tried to avoid those. Um, what we would call um, expat ghettos or whatever, you know, where mm. where everyone spoke English, sure, or, sure, or because even back then, where you, a could, lot of you could find live. those, really. But of course, we were we weren't in Budapest anyway. So I mm. mean, where we were living, we had that one other missionary family that had helped that us, and then you know they were they started attending a Hungarian church. We were attending a Hungarian church where we literally understood nothing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I, I relate, yeah. the first service. <laughs> I, I said, I'm going to write down every word I understood. I had two words, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> and Bible. Oh, okay. <laughs> those are the only two I was words. Say, again and them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe I would have known those. You're right. I probably knew those. But I mean, it was like the two new words, you know, yeah, Biblia. Jesus and, and yeah, Jesus, Biblia. <laughs> it was like nothing. I mean, it was yeah. like, it was just like, you know, a hum in the background, like a radio playing in the background. What were your thoughts after that first service? Like, oh no, what? How am I ever going to learn this? Yeah, I mean, on the positive side, I thought the Hungarian language really sounded kind of neat. You know, you know, yeah, like German's kind of a harsh language, or Russian Slavic language. You know, Spanish is a lot of like tongue. Yeah, I mean, this one is—it just kind of has this nice kind of sound to it. But it was just like listening to, yeah, it's just like listening to music. You know, you don't understand, you know, music with no words because it's like just you know. But anyways, yeah, I mean, thankfully we were young and and ignorant, maybe you know, but we. We well, were, you, you it was also, like this great adventure. We're going to learn this sure. language. We're going to, we're going to. But it also sounds like you, you prioritize the language learning at the beginning. We did. Which, which I, and, and the guys yeah. I know would always say is, is super mm. important because there's yeah. lots, unfortunately, yeah. missionaries who go to the field and don't prioritize or maybe even never fully learn the language. Yeah. Um, was that something that, uh, that you knew, like, like you consciously made that decision that this is important, I'm going to do it? Or was it just like. It just happened because, like, well, we're here. We might as well learn the language. You know what I mean? No, no. That was a very conscious uh, decision. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to think who gave us that advice. It was probably from our mission board, mission, mm-hmm. maybe our European director. Um, but, you know, basically it was it was the idea that, you know, if, if you're going to talk to these people in their heart language, mm-hmm. you got to learn the language. Because yeah. you can do something with translators, sure. you know. 
And so other missionaries came and launched a church, you know, six months after they got right. here using six a translator. We waited two years. Mm-hmm. So we did, we went through the entire language school process mm-hmm. before launching yeah. a church. And probably, I mean, I, I'm sure you were a lot mm-hmm. smarter and more gifted than I am. But you, I, I'm just guessing after two years of school in this language, you still weren't like, like I, maybe you were at the mm-hmm. advanced level, but you probably didn't feel like super confident in like just preaching and studying right. like it, it probably still took a ton of work right right so i we were when we started the church in Estergom, um you know we were working with this other missionary family and he's like 20 some years older than me mm-hmm. so he, it was really kind of like he, he's the pastor mm-hmm. i'm the assistant pastor nice. so i mean i preached like once every six oh, weeks okay okay so it once wasn't every six weeks to, no no that's, no so i mean he was nice. preaching much more than i was cool, cool and he was using a translator he mm-hmm. never he never preached without a translator and he mm-hmm. was here 13 years so that's one thing I would say about the language. I, you know, I never saw anyone arrive here 40 years older or mm-hmm. older who learned the language wow. to, to preach in it. Wow. You know, guys that came in their 20s, yes. Mm-hmm. In their mm-hmm. 30s, maybe. Sure, <laughs> 40 sure. and older, it was like, no, Man. not wow. going to happen. Sure. So he used translator his whole whole time here. He understood Hungarian pretty well, which was helpful because mm-hmm. he could he could understand If you're long enough, you got to... And he could speak the broken, you know, enough to get around, but to preach and he couldn't. But anyway, so I started preaching in Hungarian after, you know, after the two years when Mm -hmm. we started the church, I always preach in Hungarian, but I was only preaching maybe at the most once a month, maybe once every six weeks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I didn't have, you know, that every week, you know, I've got to have a sermon. And so I would write down, I'd pretty much write out the sermon. I'd Mm -hmm. practice the sermon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of work, and I learned you could not, I could not get off my notes because, I mean, I would, oh, you know, exactly. a thought, random thought comes in your mind. Mm-hmm. One or two times I would start down Lose that rabbit trail. Mm-hmm. It's not just losing a place, but then I couldn't finish it. It was like I would run into a, a uh, wall in my language mm-hmm. understanding. Yeah, So that's totally. why I really had to stay disciplined that whatever I put down, because I had practiced that, I knew I could mm-hmm. finish that thought. Because sure. occasionally I would, you know, I would just launch off into some random right. thought. And then you're like, you got like, like ah, I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you, was I? <laughs> you come back to your notes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the first, I can still remember my first sermon on your head. There was like this, I think I preached to 14 people or something, but there was yeah, this, yeah. this one teenage kid sitting in the back and he was like snickering through the whole thing. And I was just absolutely convinced he was laughing at me. He might have been laughing at something else. But I mean, it was just, it was just driving me crazy. You right, know, right. This kid is just every every line, every sentence I say, he's like back there giggling. You know, oh, and man. I'm like, I think he's laughing at me. He just feels like super insecure the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. It's so 17 minutes. That was that was my first sermon. Okay. Well, there. You, hey, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's. It's crazy to me, though, because... So, so did you speak, you know, because you kind of grew up in different countries. Well, okay, you, you lived in a different country at one point. Did you speak any other languages before learning Hungarian? Not, no. So, okay. like, Liberia was English. Um, okay. And... Uh, you know, we have a typical Christian school, one year mm-hmm. of Spanish, you know, where, yeah, yeah. where you don't know much of anything, you know, sure. so, I mean, it was right. just, we checked off our I just, for language. me, so I'm at that B1 level, uh-huh. learning the B2 material, and like, and like, it's funny because it's just, you know, just enough to like be super frustrated mm-hmm. because you understand a decent amount and you can, and you can start to actually communicate your thoughts about things. But then you still see the mountaintop is still so far away and you know it. You're not like, oh, I'm really close. You're like, there's still so much to do. But as an American who only spoke one language, just this much 
man, it's so exciting. Like even just like right now this year, I'm, I'm reading the Bible in one chapter in English and one chapter in Hungarian. I don't understand all of it, obviously, but reading mm-hmm. it in English first helps mm-hmm. and then reading Hungarian after. And just like if I would have told myself, go back in time 10 years ago and tell my 10 year younger self that someday you'll be able to kind of read the Bible in another language. It is, it's cool. Like you have to kind of stop and assess where you've come so that you don't get frustrated about where you're not. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, do you remember like those little goals for yourself? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And we, you know, we did the same thing, you know, like I would, in those early first two years when we were attending a Hungarian church, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would just like write down, like I started writing down words I didn't know. And Mm -hmm. when I could finally pick them out. And so, I mean, that's, I write down Kegulam and I'd go home and look it up. Right, right. Oh, that's great. That's some sort of bread, that's, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I yeah, mean, right. it was like I, I learned all my Bible vocabulary. Totally, at church. Listening in church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd hear a word, I'd pick it out, I'd write it down, I'd go home, look it up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, great, man, that's a, that's a great word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, all, you have to be happy for, excited about every little victory there. Absolutely. Path, so. Yeah, I've been working on, like, like when you're when you're preaching... Um, and, and something that's really helpful to me is you, you kind of preach in more of an expository manner too, which is what I'm used to. So usually, even if there's a topic, you've got like a main passage. And so you're yeah. going, so I can kind of just read, be like, okay, I know the context of this passage. Uh-huh. And then maybe there's a key word that you keep saying that I don't know. And then uh-huh. I'm going to Google translate it or look yeah. it up later. Yeah. I still remember the first word that I almost laughed when you said, because it was such a long word. Uh-huh. And I was like, what does that mean? And um, it was early, early on. It was mega legadish, or I'm probably not even saying <laughs> yeah, it right. But yeah, I think it's just satisfaction. Yeah, um, right, right, right. Mega that mag, mega legadish, mega shig. But it was like one of it was a word that you kept coming back to. It must have uh, been a theme, and you just would be like mega legadish, and then because you're you're going fast, you're 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 speaking like a uh, like a, a national, and I'm just like, man, that must be a good word because he keeps going back to it is <laughs> so i'll never forget that one because because yeah. yeah just as it, your brain attaches a memory mm. or something to mm. that first time you learn the word yeah. um which is super interesting okay so aside from the learning the language which would have been difficult at that point in history of course um what was it like landing on the field right after communism in hungary and then adjusting it your small family. I mean, it was just you and your wife at first. But what was that like the first year, that, that first 12 months on the field, mm-hmm. um, adjusting to going from the West to post-communist Hungary? And not even living in Budapest. You're living in a smaller city outside of Budapest. Yeah. I mean, it was very, very different. I mean, obviously. Um, but the only thing I can say, it's just one of those things, you know, we knew God had called us. And, you know, I'm just amazed with my wife, you know, that she back in those days, we didn't have Skype or FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, you know, so it's like you're not talking to your 50, family, $1. 50 a minute on a phone if you can find a phone wow. for long, distance. you know, and long distance the U.S. But she she was just really great. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe once a month we would yeah. call the family, you know, for 30 minutes or whatever, yeah. you know, but it was to us. It was like, you know, this is this kind of like this grand adventure where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're here because God calls, we're going to learn this language. We're gonna... You knew what you were signing up before you went. Yeah, it wasn't I think, like... yeah. So, I mean, it was like, it was new, but it wasn't a surprise. Like, yeah, yeah. we knew this was going to be hard, but I mean, the village life we were in was so different from a suburban, you know, mm-hmm. life in America. I mean, all our neighbors, it, you know, they viewed a yard as, you know, potential place to raise animals and food, mm-hmm. you know, whereas America, our yard That's was grass play. and we play or whatever, you know, or you have a cookout. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. But they, I mean, every neighbor, 
has pigs, chickens, wow. you know, they've, they're planning their, they're planting a garden, mm-hmm. you know, they got their fruit trees, you know, you don't just have a maple tree because it's pretty, you have a fruit yeah. tree because it actually <laughs> right. produces something you can mm-hmm. eat, you know, and so it was, it was just so different for us. I remember, you know, our, our second or first spring there, it's like, okay, we're going to dig up a little plot and plant some food, you know, yeah, we wow. never did get the chickens there. Probably or didn't have Tesco pigs. back then, huh? <laughs> no, <laughs> every store, you know, it's like you had the... Not, you know, today you're used to the bakery, but okay, it's like you had the milk store. And, and if you wanted oh, milk goods, okay. you went to you the milk store. You didn't have the corner bullet. You didn't yeah. have big stores that had everything, you know. So the meat, you know, the meat store is the meat store. The milk store mm-hmm. is the milk products. The, you know, then wow. they did have the ABC, okay. you know, that you're familiar with. That yeah, was kind yeah. of the broadest thing that you could find. Okay. But it's like, yeah, you had the, the, the zero chigas, you know, the vegetable, mm-hmm. fruit and vegetable stand. You know, so, and then that was like you, everywhere you went. Everything was behind a counter when we first got here. Yeah. So you had it's to kind of like the, the George said, Todd. When you go to yeah. the pharmacy, you yeah. have to like know what you want and ask them. Like, I don't know the word. Yeah. And so we had, I mean, we had to do that with food. We had to do Ooh. that with, with every product, you know, cleaning, whether it's cleaning supplies or your shampoo or, yeah. you know, so you're, you, you're talking about pointing and, and oh, trying yeah, to, gesturing. you know, act things out and... <laughs> And nobody knew English back then. Of course. And it was like... You find I yourself mean, just like putting a Hungarian accent on the English word. Yeah. Like, I need... Maybe that'll help. Tylenol. Like, <laughs> maybe that'll help them know. understand. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, so it was just so... It was so different, you know. We did almost, you did you ever yeah. do the big cooking? I don't even know what it's called. Where they, they set up the big tripod over the fire with a, the, the giant the pot. pot. Yeah. We didn't do that ourselves, but when we started our first church in Estergomia, I mean, that was, oh, that was cool. like your big, instead of the grill mm-hmm. cookout, you know, you got your pot and you, you what did they your, make primarily in that? Like goulash? Well, goulash soup was the big thing, but mm-hmm. also they could make, you know, you've heard of the word pro curl. So like the stew, yeah, so they like, yeah. like, uh, you know, you'd make your, your kind of like a pork stew or a beef, gotcha. beef stew. Mm-hmm. Of course, then you had to do the, your, your old noodles separately, but you know, sure. yeah. So yeah it was definitely a different culture yeah and, yeah uh, and then you had uh you have three kids right four four, four. kids oh my bad yeah. and so that was what well, you said that uh karin did one year of school and then had your first kid mm-hmm. so that was man the first what was that big chunk of your your life here so maybe first five or six years you've got small babies or was yeah. it even longer than that? I don't yeah, know how, I mean, how almost fast you longer than that because <laughs> we had four in six and a half years. So oh, okay, yeah. It was like we had two yeah. and then a three. The year, first eight to ten years, you had babies. Two and then a three-year break and then two. Okay, pretty close. So yeah, um, yeah. So the first baby was born in first two were born in Budapest, mm-hmm. and because of you know we weren't fluent in Hungarian yet, somebody had recommended this doctor in Budapest that spoke English. Okay. He was very helpful, you know, and so you actually felt like you, you know, you can communicate. Mm-hmm. Of course, with the first baby, you have no clue what's going on. Sure, you know. Sure. So yeah, he was he was really helpful, really good. Uh, we did our first two in Budapest with him, and then by the time our third and fourth came, we were fluent in Hungarian. We we're living in Estergom, and so she just had the typical Hungarian system, you know, going right wow. through there. There you go. Yeah, so all four were born in Hungary, two in okay. Budapest, first two in Budapest, second two in, in Estocolm. Wow, that's awesome. And so how was that like balancing the father life, but mm-hmm. also the, um, well, I mean, you were the, at least the first couple of years, you were in that, not just the language learning stage, but the foundational stage of ministry, building the mm-hmm. foundation for the church. And um, was that tough to balance? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, any, even if you're in the U.S., you're going to have to learn probably how to balance <laughs> True. that. So, I mean, to me, it was like figuring out, you know, when we had the little kids, okay, it was like, okay, um, I'm going to give my wife one morning a week where it's her morning. Oh, so she can, she can mm-hmm. do whatever she wants. You know, I'll watch the kids. I'll stay home, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, when they were little at home. Yeah. You know, when we're, they were starting to go to Hungarian preschool, we put them in Hungarian preschool. Yeah. Then it was like normally... You know, from goodness, from preschool all the way through school, it was like, okay, I was always a part of their morning routine. Mm-hmm. And usually I was the one getting them to preschool, getting them nice. to school then later, mm-hmm. um, or at least ready for it. Uh, sometimes they were going on their own. But yeah, so I mean, you got to figure out how to how to make things work. And like figuring out the, so the, the weird part for, for, for every missionary mm-hmm. is like, so if we were just in America... It's like, okay, it's time for my first child to go to school. Well, I remember going to school. I'm sure things changed a little bit, but like, okay, where do we sign up? But here in Hungary, like, I don't, where do we go? Who do we talk to? What school do you go? I grew up in a small town, so there was the school. It was like you went to that school, not the one in your neighborhood. And so like even just getting Judah to preschool the first time. Now, granted, I'd been learning Hungarian for about four months. But yeah, it's so it's like you're not just learning the how to be a parent. You're also learning how to be a parent. Not where you grew up, which just makes things a little bit more difficult. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Thankfully, you know, we had launched the church in 95. Mm -hmm. So by the time our kids were in preschool, you know, we'd had this church for a couple years. That means we had people that were in our Ah, church. Sure. You know, so we had people that were... Helpful. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Either they take your hand and walk you through it or they would explain it. What to do. Yeah. Yeah. And That's also we were not in Budapest. So like the town we lived in, there was one preschool. Okay, there, okay. was <laughs> there wasn't a question about where, where you're going to put them. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, actually our kids, and that's the one thing interesting in Hungary, you know, even in Budapest sometimes I'll see these little 10 year olds on a subway by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. But, just, just riding the public yeah, transportation. Yeah. I mean, our kids yeah. were literally walking to preschool at age six by themselves. Wow. wow. Two blocks. It was only like two blocks. They didn't have to cross <laughs> any big streets. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in the Hungarian culture, they don't you kidnap just, kids. You know, yeah. Don't. yeah. Well, I mean, you're not wrong though. There's very, I mean, Budapest is a big city, but there's, and, and I know the places that they say are sketchy like you know you, you've got a few i won't name them but there, there's a few places in budapest that are just known but i mean honestly i rarely feel unsafe here right. compared to the cities i've been to in america like right. like a chicago or a new york or something right. where you're just always on edge but that's because like we're from the midwest so you're like oh this is crazy but here it's i don't know it's a big city versus what i'm from but like i still I, I don't feel the same dynamics where i'm not worried when brooke and judah go out by themselves to go shopping right. and they're taking the public transportation right. generally yeah. and um but it is kind of weird to see my son grow up as a big city kid <laughs> like he's just used to hopping trams and buses and yeah. he likes it and yeah, yeah I, I, when he's 10 years old i'm sure he'll just be doing it on his own yeah crazy to, to even think about um Man, that, that's really cool. So I, I'd love to spend uh, the last uh, 15 minutes or so just talking about uh, is it conversations we've had before that maybe it's kind of nerdy, but I love talking about this stuff. So you have you know a lot about the history of just the Baptist missions that mm-hmm. have happened in Hungary, uh, specifically like post-communism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and of course, I, th- I think there was some stuff that happened even pre-communism, mm-hmm. but I'd love to just have you just talk about what... And even if it goes outside of Baptist, that's fine. What what has missions 
been like, or the history of missions, uh, evangelical missions, let's say, mm-hmm. um, in Hungary been, um, even pre-communism uh, and post-communism. Because well, if anyone's listening and you don't know me, Hungary is a, it's it's a Catholic country by the government. It, it's considered a, a Christian, a you know, a Catholic country. And so if, if you look on different statistics, I, I've seen, you know, anywhere from around 90% would consider themselves Catholic. And then two to three percent maybe evangelical maybe you know some of those stats better Mm -hmm. uh even less than that baptist of course um but so what what would the history of evangelical or baptist missions look like in hungary yeah so i can give more specifics on the baptist than i can on the other groups but well i didn't want to pigeonhole yeah so yeah you're you're whatever whatever you want to talk about so like the Yeah, I mean, if you you could go into Anabaptist being in Hungary back in the oh, 15th really? century and stuff oh, like that's, that. That's neat. Um, so, I mean, there is quite a lot of history here, but what we would call the modern uh, Baptist movement in Hungary began in about 1850s. Okay. Um, and it was interesting that it was like... Two was, diff- was that during the Habsburgs then? Ooh, yeah. I'm sorry, so, testing your history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you really are testing my history, but yes. Or at I least think, the Austria-Hungarian. Yeah, that should, be, that should be the Austria-Hungarian Empire. You would have had that in 1868, I think, or 70. That's when we really had the formation of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. But before that, if you remember, 1848 was when they had the revolution right. against the mm-hmm. Austrian rule. So anyways, somewhere back in that range, mm-hmm. um, Baptists were introduced into Hungary in two ways. First, where some Baptist um, masonry workers went to Hamburg to rebuild the city of Hamburg when it burned down. There was some big fire or something. And they became in contact with Baptists there, got saved, came back to Hungary. And they were in Pech down in southern Hungary. Yeah, yeah. And they're the ones that started kind of a movement down there. The second one was actually a um, missionary from uh, Germany who uh, came to to Budapest and hmm. started churches. And his the first Baptist churches in Budapest spoke German. Oh, so wow. they were in the German language, not mm-hmm. in the Hungarian language. So like the oldest Baptist church in Hungary is the Veselingi Utsa Baptist Church. Hmm. And they say all the way into the 1900s, it was services in were in German. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's a 100-plus-year-old church then. Mm-hmm. So anyways, this guy... He reached some Hungarians, though. This guy's name was Meyer Henrik um, in the Hungarian order. Mm-hmm. And he reached, one of the key guys he reached was a guy named Kornyo Mihai. This would have been like the 70s, 1870s. Well, mm-hmm. this guy is considered like the founder of, of the, the Baptist, really, in, in what you'd say, all of Eastern Hungary and Transylvania. So this guy and his co-workers from 1870 to about to World War One, pretty mm-hmm. much, you're talking about 30 to 40 years time period. They planted over, I believe, 600 churches. Wow. In uh, the eastern side of Hungary, you know, what we call the Allfield, um, and all the way into Transylvania, which wow. was all yeah, Hungarian. So this, was this was all Hungarian speaking. This yeah, is before yeah. 1914. Mm-hmm. So massive. You know, you're talking maybe as many as 20,000 wow. Baptists by. My World War One, unreal over a couple of decades. Yeah, and, I mean it was just remarkable. Hmm. Um, maybe someday when your Hungarian reaches that point, you can read his biography. Oh it's, yeah, it's wow, quite a fascinating, cool. yeah. fascinating well, end story. of the Philadelphian Church Age period. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was quite quite an impressive story. Well, and mm-hmm. then of course they had World War One, which mm-hmm. was a setback change. 
Um, you know, and then you had this maybe 20 year period between the wars. Um, and those are, you know, I think it was more stability um, time. And then you get to, you know, communism post-World War II. So what I would say is, uh, if you were looking at Hungarian Baptist statistics in Hungary, they entered, um, like, at post-World War II, there would have been six to 700 Baptist churches in Hungary. Mm-hmm. When communists ended, it was right around 400. Wow. So they lost about 200 to 300 churches that just flat out died under communism. Mm-hmm. Um, there and was, that was in like the whole of the old Hungary or this just is, in modern This day is just today's borders. Hungary. Okay. So I don't know all the statistics in Romania. Mm-hmm. I do think the numbers for right now, if you were to go into the Hungarian speaking uh, Baptist churches yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Romania, mm-hmm. you would have probably somewhere around close to 10,000 and you have closer wow. to 20,000 right now in mm-hmm. Hungary. So about okay. 18,000, maybe 10,000 mm-hmm. there. Um but anyway, so yeah, so under communism, you have to imagine essentially virtually no evangelism was taking place. Sure. They were ex- probably just in survival mode. Except for a couple rebellious pastors that refused to be silent. Wow. So basically, they were given freedom to hold their services as long as you just keep it to yourselves. Don't try now to. Now, that's con- surprising. Yeah, it, so wow. they were having church. Baptist churches were running all through But no proselytizing. But they, right. So it's like any time the Baptist tried to do something like, you know, like a big youth camp or something, then, mm-hmm. then the hammer would come down. And the hammer falling would be threats usually, um, taking jobs away. Um, but anyways, like the, the one of the great pastors um, in Hungary during that time was now in his 90s, Kovács Giza. Um, I mean, he was one that, he just everywhere they went, he just evangelized, and you know churches grew, and then the communists would would move him. They said, "Okay, you know you're causing too much trouble here. We'll put him in a small town, and that church." They, they let him live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they took away his license for a while, and he still went because you had to be registered with the state. Yeah, of course. He took away his preaching license for a while, and uh, anyways, this guy was just amazing. He ended up going to Budafok. Um, oh, okay. Probably this would have been the 70s when mm-hmm. they and they said, oh, you can have the church in Budapest, which is a kind of outskirts of Budapest. It was a church like 20. It grew into like the largest church in Budapest <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> under his wow. pastor. So he was one of those remarkable guys. Yeah, like when we stud. first came to Hungary, I'd have him come to our church in Eskrim like every year to preach. Oh, you, you knew him? Yeah. Oh, and he wow. was in his That's 70s cool. then. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, actually, I'm like thinking actually you're talking his, about this guy in antiquity. No, like, oh, his yeah, granddaughter is a member of Focus Church. Wait, for real? Karate's Tomash's wife, Dory, is Wait, what? Is his, granddaughter, his granddaughter. One of his many. I didn't know <laughs> that's that. That's his granddaughter. That's crazy. <laughs> no way. Yeah, but this guy's like a legend oh, in, in, awesome. in Hungary. He was quite an amazing wow, guy. Like fangirling over this 90-year-old uh, yeah, he's, preacher. Yeah, he's in his Man. 90s now. Crazy. Um, doesn't get out much. And, sure, but he's still kicking. But yeah. <laughs> But anyways, like under communism, he was like one of, and it's like everywhere he went, the church grew. And the other person like that is the guy, you know, his son is is our worship pastor, Daniel. Mm-hmm. His father was a pastor under communism that, that saw a lot, of, a lot of success and growth in his churches because mm. some of these guys just refused, you know, not to share the gospel, not That's to awesome. try to reach people. Yeah, praise God. And, uh. So it's not like when we came here that there was nothing. Okay, sure, we, we sure. came, and the Baptist Church was coming out of communism. Um, there was some conflict within the Baptist Union because some of the leaders, of course, had compromised. It was kind of like you've got to 
somehow get along with the communist government. And so some people would compromise, others would fight it. Hmm. And that caused two factions, factions yeah. within the Baptist Union, <clears throat> the people that said we need to just be at peace and, and keep our mouths, you know, keep our head low. I see. And others that say, no, we got to preach the gospel. Press on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of like what we came into here Interesting. Um, when we arrived in Hungary. Um, but yeah, so then post-communism... It's really only about 30 years. Yeah, we've got decades. 30 years post-communism. And I would say out of those 400 churches that came out of communism, probably when we got here, at least 100, 150 of those were really small. So we're talking... Okay. They call, called them a church, but maybe 10 or less mm -hmm. people. Very small. A lot of them had their own properties, though. like Because they'd been around for a while. Yeah, because they just, they just uh -huh. petered down, petered down. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, the number of Hungarian Baptist churches right now is somewhere around 320, I think, 320, okay. maybe. Okay. But I would say at probably 80 to 100 churches have been planted in the last 30 years. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so 100 to 150 maybe have died. Wow. You know, sure. so they just let, the, a lot of the small ones have died in the last 30 mm -hmm. years, but many others have been planted, especially in tr what's called Transdanubia, so from the Danube to Austria. Okay. This was the weak side, where the Baptists and Reformed were weaker. It was a stronger Catholic side. Hmm. So we had cities in Western Hungary when we got here, that had lots of cities at No Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And some were big. Some about, hey, 100,000 at No Baptist Church. Wow. Um, you know, our Esther owned 30,000, No Baptist Church. Taught the 30,000, No Baptist Church, 25,000. Wow. It was all 60,000, No Baptist Church. You know, yeah, see, those these, aren't villages. You had those big, these, some of them were county seats. Tatobanya, 80,000, No Baptist You know, mm -hmm. you had some big cities that were missing, you know, had No Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And so the Baptist Union actually targeted some of these and of course you know we had part in two plants in Estegom and in Tata um, but there's been church planning going on you know in Budapest and mm -hmm. some of the other you know so now you would look at the Baptist Union and I think the numbers would be somewhere around 18 to 20,000 people consider themselves Baptist okay there mm -hmm. would be somehow registered connected to the Baptist mm -hmm. churches in mm -hmm. Hungary here 30 years after communism wow. um, so we've got we got work to do. <laughs> a lot of work yeah, to do. Yeah. A lot of work to do. And I would estimate you're pretty accurate on your two to three percent mm. of and that two to three percent would include people that are part of the Reformed Church of Hungary. Which is a for anyone listening, because there's a lot of Reformed Baptists in America. In in Hungary it's I've learned it's two completely right. It's, Reformed it's is completely its own, different. Not even denomination, it's its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So here these uh, the Reformed Church of Hungary, I would say there you have this uh Kind of this smaller group within it of what I would call evangelical Christians. Okay. Whereas yeah, because they, the they would baptize babies. Um, yeah, even they these would, but they, as a doctrine, they, but they're they're yeah. preaching the gospel okay. of the new birth, repentance. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would say the vast majority, mm -hmm. um, it's just well, a know, different form of religion. <laughs> right. Well, in most statistics. <laughs> You know, depending on the website, maybe maybe the SBC wouldn't do this, but you know, under evangelical, they'll include Mormons, JWs. So it's yeah. like, okay, two to three percent of a ten million people country mm -hmm. is evangelical, whatever that means, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then even less than that mm -hmm. is actually born again, saved. So that's yeah. a lot of work to do. Yes. Yeah. Well, I count it a privilege to. Um, to learn from you seriously i mean it's been great to learn little things like this like i i can go to mark and just be like hey mark what about this city oh well there, there's two baptist churches there one's really small but one's been there a while like he just he's like an encyclopedia and so mm -hmm. um that's incredibly hopeful when we're talking strategy about reaching hungry 
for the gospel. So, um, yeah, I count it a privilege for you uh, to be my friend and to just learn from you too, man. So um, I'm trying to think, what can we wrap this up on? If you were, man, you've been here almost 30 years now. And so what, what would you consider just in your life? You know, this stage of your life, this stage of your ministry, your kids are grown. You, you just moved to Budapest. Uh, you, you started this church a little over two years ago, but just moved here last summer, right? right, right. And so, like, you're, you're in a new stage of life, a new stage of ministry, and living in the big city now compared to where you were. Is, do you see this as, as, a, as different for you? Or has your, um, sorry, I'm not very good at saying what I want to say sometimes in either language that I know. Um, do you feel like your goals or, or your what you're aiming for has shifted? Like, are you in more of a uh, investing in men period of your ministry? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, different stages of life and ministry. Or are you still just like, nah, man, I'm just plugging away and keep planting churches until the Lord comes back? Yeah. No, there's definitely been a change in um, perhaps in the way we do ministry and the way I, you know, I almost look back, you know, and I said this to my wife and I've said it to others in the last three years. It's like, I felt like my first 25 years here were Mm. preparation for what I'm doing right now. Interesting. So it's like, God, it took 25 years to get me to a point (laughs) where I'm ready to do what I'm doing right now. Moses took 40, it's all good. (laughs) So, So yeah, what I would say the biggest difference in what I'm trying to do now, I mean, we're trying, and I know many people say it, and I'm not sure we'll see it happen, but we're trying to move from addition to multiplication. Mm-hmm. Churches I, that plant churches. Yeah, and not just churches that plant churches, because I think it all it all builds on each other. So I would say multiplication of disciples, mm-hmm. multiplication of leaders, multiplication of churches. Mm-hmm. And those all obviously, you know, you're not going to have multiplication of churches without having the other two. Yeah. But course. the idea is multiplication, which means it's a different type of ministry. So it's, it's, uh, it's like... Yeah, I mean, it's all we're all supposed to be doing, but mm-hmm. I'm just not sure I did it. So I, instead of me trying to disciple everybody, mm-hmm. you know, I'm discipling someone to disciple someone yeah, to disciple might. someone to disciple someone. And instead of me being, you know, more, how should I say, our previous church was more pastor centric, mm-hmm. more things are running. You know, I'm trying to delegate more, pass down, get more. You know, I'm more everybody involved. Yeah, in I'm, the I'm the vision. I'm the vision man. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm going to try course. to keep us keep us on mm-hmm. in the right direction. The but I don't want to I don't want to limit by my capabilities of mm-hmm. okay, I can only pastor this many people or I can sure. only lead this many people. So now we're multiplying leaders uh, in, in a much more intentional way. And the same with discipleship. We we've got this we developed a pathway of discipleship, a way of discipleship mm-hmm. that hopefully will lead to multiplication. Amen. You know, multiplication of leaders. So we've got you know, like nine people in leadership training right now at Focus Church and and uh, trying to invest in them so they'll become leaders and then hopefully they'll invest in leaders and then and then the same thing with churches you know it all goes together so you know because i've seen that i can it takes a good 10 years to plan a, a solid church yeah you know, hungry so, i've told people that it's not five-year plans here no, it's, it's 10-year plans it's a 10 years slowly. 10 years to have a solid church so if i stick with addition i might have two more churches mm-hmm. if i can get to mul- multiplication then it doesn't even end when I leave. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, amen. I mean, it just keeps on rolling. And that's the goal. And yeah, that's the absolutely, goal. absolutely. You know, so not to that's leave cool. four churches, but to leave almost a movement of yeah. 
churches planting churches planting churches mm-hmm. I and mean, that would be our goal our dream oh praise god man yeah and i i know that we can't we come from similar backgrounds mm-hmm. and in my church when an independent baptist church i'm not going to use the official term because we wouldn't identify that's the buzzword in 2022 as such but we came up from mm-hmm. very similar backgrounds in, in at my church when i was a kid in the 90s that's when a, a church from kansas city area brought um, like a philosophy of discipleship to our church and we really like started to understand this multiplication and mm-hmm. investing in men to invest in other men and um, and that was like a game changer. And so mm. I, I grew up in that. And so mm. it's kind of like in my DNA. It's really cool to hear how like you have like in in the same period, but in another country mm. in 90s and 2000s are like realizing like this addition thing doesn't work. Yeah. There has to be a better philosophy. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like similar backgrounds, but but yet completely different lifestyles. Because, you, you know, you're learning everything in Hungary and I learned everything in, in Ohio. Um, but but the same goal. <laughs> reach the nations invest in faithful men who will invest in others also and um and uh yeah i mean thanks for sitting down and talking with me and thank you for all that you do for us and uh man i'm just excited to be able to uh continue to help each other out in ministry you know for years to come here hungry yeah well glad to do it all right yeah. well we gotta we gotta reach hungry we're running out of time and for anyone listening you know it's uh wherever you're at doesn't matter where god's called you to the important thing is he's called you to a work and we're we're, we're called to reach the nations with the gospel, but I mean, Acts 1, 8, um, you know, it starts in Jerusalem. So wherever you're at, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. So start doing what God has called you to do where you're at, and maybe he'll ask you to change your address for the gospel someday. Um, so Mark, thanks again, man. That was awesome. Glad to do it. Thanks. Well, there you go. I hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Missionary Roundtable, getting to know my friend Mark Patton. Uh, missionary here in Hungary. Mark and his uh, wife, Karin, and their uh, new little church plant has been a big help to our family, as you can tell from the interview. And um, they are uh, definitely gospel-centered and uh, evangelism-minded. And I thank God for Mark and for all that he's done in the past three decades. And uh, we are excited uh, for what God is going to do through our family as we continue um, learning and adapting to the culture and learning the language and uh, building into people here. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you learned something. Thank you guys so much for tuning in each week. We will see you back here same time, same place next week on Missionary Roundtable. Until then, God bless. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe and share us on social media. Also, please make sure to check out our other podcast, Theology Roundtable, at theologyroundtable.com.